Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. And if this is your first time tuning in, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story of how they've gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to reiterate my main goal, which is to truly impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So you can help me reach that vision by sharing this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague, leaving a review of Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts, and just continuing to listen to the show. Now on to today's guest and episode, I'm sitting down with David Kitchen. He is the founder of Edge Leadership Academy. Prior to Edge, he spent 10 years as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, including being the youngest head strength coach in all of NCAA at 24 years old. His story of how he got to be a strength and conditioning coach is no easy battle as he grew up in a single parent household who saw addiction and struggle at an early age. So this is going to be a really unique story of how he worked his way up to becoming the youngest head strength coach and then pivoting to launch his own company, Edge Leadership Academy. All of this to say he's only 31 years old, absolutely crushing it. So if you want to know more about leadership, if you want to know more about moving up, if you want to know more about success in general, then this episode is definitely for you. Other than that, let's go ahead and dive in. David, thanks so much, man, for uh, taking the time to hop on the Next Level Minds podcast. Dude, absolutely, man. Fired up to be here. Uh, love the platform you're building. Um, so hopefully I can add some value here, man. We'll have a good conversation. Yeah, brother. I know we're uh, doing this on a Monday. So you excited for the upcoming week, I guess? Oh, always, man. Mondays are fun for me. Uh, so like, I typically do what I call Sunday strategy session. Mm. Um, so Sunday night, I usually shut my weekend off, usually like 6, 7 p.m. on, on a Sunday um, is when I'm like, after that, I'm, I'm in full steam ahead mode. Um, so I'll sit down and, you know, do my schedule for the week. And then usually I got a hard time going to sleep because I'm excited, you know, to get up and get rolling. So Mondays are always fun because the feet hit the ground and, you know, you obviously have a plan, but as Mike Tyson says, right. And you always have a plan until you get punched in the face. Mm. Um, so, and that's the beauty of entrepreneurship, you know, so you write out this plan on Sunday night, then you wake up on Monday and like as a business owner and somebody that's involved in multiple businesses, like you never know what the week is going to bring you. So it's always, it's always fun, man. I never have two days that are the same. Dude, I totally agree, man. I do a, a thing called a Sunday checklist where I have like five or six different things that I do that are all centered around uh, different buckets of my life. But same thing, like I'll plan out the week and then like today shifted like four times already. And I'm like, all right, let's keep going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like recording these on a Monday, man, because like I personally get a lot of value at, uh, out of speaking with, you know, guests like yourself. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, I just got a bunch of great content myself that I'm going to post one day. But now I got all this information to, to keep me going for the rest of the week. So definitely. Um, but yeah, man, I, I want to touch on your background a little bit. But before we start to dive uh, deeper in your story, um, I know when you reached out to me, one of the things that you mentioned was that you're a product of a, a single parent household who, you know, saw addiction, different things of, of struggles kind of at a young age. So I'd love if you could just kind of touch on what that was like. Yeah, man. Um, so I, I tell people like it, it was the best gift I could have been given. Um, so I was, I was born to a single mom. Uh, she's a savage man in every, in every sense of the word, like she's a G. I mean, she busted her butt for, for years and took care of me and my brother. Um, but yeah, my stepbrother or my step, yeah, my stepbrother, my stepfather, uh, struggled with addiction. You know, um, we saw some things in the home and, and it was tough, you know? And so we say in my household, most people become a man at 18. I became a man at 11. Um, you know, but it, it was, it was really unique because I got to learn lessons along the way that a lot of people don't get. Right. So I got to learn, you know, what it's like to have to put other people first at a young age, um, what it's like to be the rock of a family at a young age. And, and in my, you know, now looking back, like those are leadership lessons. Um, and so I got to learn that stuff early on. And I don't think, 
you know, when you're young, you don't realize like what it, how bad it is. Right. And, and so like one of the stories I tell is like, we worked at, we lived in this house um, that was above a bar and we used to help the Salvation Army like pack lunches for families in need. And so we would pack like peanut butter sandwiches and me and my brother would be there, you know, stuffing the bags and, and doing the whole thing. Um, and at the end of it all, my mom would always be like, make sure you guys grab one. And in my mind, I was just like, oh, cool. We get a peanut butter sandwich. Right. But now that I look back, I'm like, oh, wait, we were that family. Like we were the ones that needed the help. Right. And so it's like you don't ever really realize um, how bad it is until you really get older. And again, I say that. But but the asterisk is always like my life was not an A&E late night special. Like it wasn't. You know what I mean? My mom made sure that we had a structure. We had a healthy environment. Um, as best she could. And so did I see things? Yeah, absolutely. Was I a part of some things, you know, that maybe a kid shouldn't have been? Absolutely. Were there some tough situations that I had to take care of? Um, yeah, definitely. You know, but at the end of the day, man, we were, we were blessed and, and, uh, you know, I had a mom and a grandmother that stepped up to the plate and, and made sure that, you know, I grew up in a household where I knew I was loved. It was never a situation of that, you know, and, uh, you know, so it definitely played into who I am today. Yeah, man. I appreciate you elaborating on that in a bit more detail. How did you, um, there's two sides, right? There, there's victor and then victim, right? And uh, obviously based on your background, which we're going to dive more into later today, like you obviously went the victor path. Um, so, you know, how, how did you kind of go that level? Because I, I speak with people all the time where they're like, man, you know, I would have done this or I could have done this, but I was raised like this and like have all these excuses as to why they don't have the life you want. So how did you kind of separate yourself there? Yeah, I, I think early on, it was just out of necessity, right? So early on, like, you didn't have time to complain, you didn't have time to be upset about things like, it was just you just got to go, you know, like my family needed me. Um, my mom needed me to be a father figure for my brother, my brother needed me to be the guy that kept him safe and the guy that took care of the house. Um, you know, at times, my mom needed me to be the man of the house and make certain decisions and, and, you know, make, uh, make myself known as that I was the one that was in charge. And so, um, I think early on, I didn't really have a choice. And so I didn't think about it. It just kind of became subconscious. It was just like, this is the role that I have to play right now. Mm. Um, the other piece was though, again, watching my mother, like she went from being a waitress and, um, you know, a bartender and doing all these different things to going back to school, getting her nursing degree, and then going on to uh, run one of the top Alzheimer units in the state. She speaks all over the state now on, on Alzheimer's care and all that stuff. And so I watched that happen. And it's kind of like, this is someone who had every excuse in the book. Like she could have said, you know, my ex-husband was an addict and this happened to me and that happened to me and I'm down in this. And, and it never was, you know, it, she never made an excuse for every, for anything. And so I think I learned that from her. Um, you know, but I, I would be a liar if I said that I always had that mentality because I didn't, you know? And so I think I held on to that Victor mentality that you're talking about now, um, through high school because my family was watching, my little brother was watching. But once I got to college, I kind of went the other way. I kind of reverted. Right. And I played that victim because I was the typical kind of Friday night light sob story where I was highly recruited my junior year to play football, mm. ended up getting hurt. I played through the injury my senior year, but I was never the same. And so the scholarship offers went away. I end up at a small school and I'm like, why me? Why did this happen to me? This wasn't supposed to be my future. I was supposed to be this D1 football player, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then it was like from there kind of spiraled and everything was mm -hmm. very much so like everybody else's fault. Well, why are you partying Wednesday through Saturday? Well, because this happened or because, you know what I mean? Like, why are you getting in fights? Oh, I never met my dad. I'm angry about this. I'm angry about like, it was just a bunch of childish stuff. And so I kind of went backwards um, in the mindset piece. And then once I graduated college, it was like, that was when I realized, dude, nobody's coming to save you. Like, it's your story. You can either be the hero or you can be the villain, but either way, you're the one writing it. So if you want to end it the way you want to end it, then you better pick up the pen. Right. Because nobody else is going to do it for you. Dude, I love that comment, man. Like you are the one writing it. That's so cool that you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just it's it's a hard thing for people to realize. And I think I think people have those moments. You just have to look for them. Right. And so I think about when I graduated, I started selling IT systems. And so I was in business, mm. business to business sales. I was in cloud solutions, um, selling to like medium sized businesses. And I was making money, dude. Don't get me wrong. It was to me, it was in, it was 
I, I'm a people person. I like to connect with people. And so sales was the right route for me at the time. But I remember being at a holiday party and I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing these guys that are and girls that are veterans of this sales industry. And obviously like tech sales is a pretty lucrative, lucrative field. And so, you know, they're sitting around they're they're smoking their cigars and drinking their bourbon and having a great time. And I remember just being like, I, I, I just hit me. And I was just like, this isn't the future that I want. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not who I want to be. And I remember going outside and it was freezing cold. It was a Christmas party. And I just sat out there and I was just like looking around and I'm just like, man, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want to be at this party. I don't want to be part of this company. Like, and it was had nothing to do with them. It was just, that wasn't what I wanted for me. And so for me, that was like that moment where it was like, okay, you got to figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so flash forward, maybe three months, four months, I started writing letters to every division one school on the East coast. And I said, I'll quit my job right now. If you let me come work in your weight room for free and teach me how to be a strength and conditioning coach. And I got really fortunate and I had a school that, that said yes. And so I quit my job. I packed everything I had into a Jeep and I moved to Pittsburgh PA and, and went to Robert Morris and worked for free. Dude, that's awesome. I have two things on that. One, I love that you looked around of like future, what would be you essentially, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't really want that life, right? Nothing wrong with the industry, nothing wrong with the people. You're just like, I don't really want this life that they're living. Um, so great self-awareness there. You know, it's something I always like to tell the listeners of like, have that self-awareness. Um, and two, it's like, where do I start? It's like, dude, you didn't have a sob story of like, oh, I can't be a string of the conditioning coach. You were just like, screw it, man. I'm gonna start writing some letters and see where that leads, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, a crazy, you know, I look back now and I'm like, man, that was, that was a, a bold move. Um, you know, but at the time it just seemed like, dude, it's the only way I'm going to get my foot in the door. Like, I don't know anything yeah. about this industry. I don't have a mentor. I don't have an exercise science degree. Like my degrees in business. Like I don't have any of the prerequisites that would make me successful in this industry. You know, I wasn't a D one athlete or anything like that. Um, and so I had to go learn. I had to find somebody that would be willing to teach me the steps that it would take to, to move me forward, you know, and, and it's, it's nuts to think that I went from, you know, not having any of those prerequisites to ending up being the youngest head strength coach in, in all of the NCAA two years later, you know, so within two years, I went from unpaid to the youngest head strength coach in the country. Yeah, man, I was going to say, so what age did you start writing those letters? Like 22, 23, then would have been 22. Yeah. 22. 22. And then at 24, I got my first head job. Um, so what advice would you have? And I want to touch on, you know, being the youngest, cause that's super unique. Right. But what advice would you have maybe for some of the listeners out there that are like, you know, I'm in this industry, but I want to start a business in, in another industry and, and just shift, like kind of what are some like initial steps you would suggest? Yeah. I, I think the first thing, man, is, is do your homework, but don't do it from a sense of like, what if it goes wrong? Right. So I think a lot of people, like when they do the homework, they get intimidated and they're like, Oh my God, these people have all these things, right? They have all these accolades. They have all this experience. They have this, the, the other, whatever. Like, don't look at it from that. Just look at it and say, okay, what steps did these people take? And then you can fill the gap in for the rest. Like um, you're never going to have it all figured out. That's the beauty of business. Like I've had my, my business now for three years, Um, and I say all the time, the first year and a half, I was building the plane and flying it at the same time. Like that's part of it, you know? And so trying to avoid that paralysis by analysis, it's like, no, do your homework and then immediately figure out what is something that I can do within the next 24 to 36 hours. That's going to get me closer to actually taking action. Like what is a small action that I can take right now? That could be that. And maybe it's going and shadowing somebody who is already in the industry you want to be in. Maybe it's attending an event. Maybe it's buying a course. Like whatever it is, put some skin in the game. I think that is really important. If you don't start to put some skin in the game, there's no sense of urgency, right? There's no um, there, there's no incentive for you to keep trying and keep doing things. Like you have to put some skin in the game. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love what you mentioned too about just like those micro action steps. Like you don't need to to fly the plane 500 miles if you're using that analogy there but it's like hey maybe just like turn on the plane right yeah it's something small man so like writing those letters i had no idea what was going to happen you know i sat down and all i started with was googling strength coaches and and universities on the east coast and then from there it's like you you break it down into steps and you know piece by piece like you're again you're it's never going to be the perfect time all the stars are there's never going to be this like 
aha moment where the stars line up, the funding comes in, the experience is handed to you, the right business partner shows up. Like that's not the way the world works. And so instead you have to find micro actions, like you said. And then I, what I found is the more I did those micro actions in any aspect, when I started in coaching and now when I've been in business, the more actions I take, the more opportunities show up, the quote unquote luckier I get. Yeah. Cause it's uh what action and fear can't live together in the same hemisphere, right? Cor- correct, man. And if you kick up enough dust, something good's going to happen. Mm, like just take yeah. action and just do a bunch of things. For sure. Now, I love that too. And like, again, writing letters, what the, you probably don't remember the exact cost, but like that couldn't have cost too much for you to go ahead and plant those seeds, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just, I mean, it was a, a legal pad and some yeah. stamps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying too. Like, I, I like that because I think a lot of times like money holds people back. We're like, well, I don't really have any money to get started. It's like, dude, well, you guys are listening to David right here who just bought some stamps and, and sent some letters and, and it landed uh you know him working for free for two years and then 24 becoming the youngest head strength coach now was that at at robert morrison or no no so i went to robert morris i was there six months i lived in an apartment that was a uh it was an old high school that they turned into apartments one bedroom apartments and to give you kind of an idea of the type of neighborhood it was they only accepted cash for rent um so no background check no nothing else it was just here's the cash um and so i lived there and I ran out of money. And so I called a friend of mine and he was working a football camp. And I said, Hey, you got room for one more to work this camp. And it happened to be close to my house um, where my parents lived. And and so he said, yeah, we got room for one more. It pays, you know what? I think it was like 300 bucks or so. It was enough to get me another month of rent. Hmm. So I drove to this camp. And as I was there, it was at a university. It was at Bloomsburg university. And while I was there, I got the opportunity to meet their head strength coach. And I told him I was interning at Robert Morris, you know, that I had run out of money. That's why I was there working the camp. And he said, oh, we actually have an unpaid assistant spot open. Would you like it? And so I interviewed for that. I got it. Um, so I went to Bloomsburg University, which was Division Two. So now I went from Division One down to Division Two, And that was the first time in my career where people were like, dude, you're, you're messing up here. You're at D1. Don't leave. Right. Don't leave. And I did. I went to Division Two. I was like, no, I think this is the right fit for me. Um, and, you know, right place, right time, a lot of hard work later. Uh, they didn't have any money to pay me. And so I went to the athletic director and said, you know, what can I do to make some money around here? Like, mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. Just tell me what to do. And they said, well, we need an equipment manager. And I said, what is that? And he's like, well, you'd be doing all the laundry. You'd be doing setting up the fields, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'll take it. I'll do it. Um, and so I would literally come in in the morning, about 430 in the morning. I would set up all the locker rooms for all the teams for the day. Then I would go set up the weight room. I would coach all day. And then at night, I would go out and set up the field for practice. I would break down practice. Once practice was over, I would bring the clothes, like the the laundry loops from the football players in, throw them in the washer and dryer, go run workouts for the rest of the teams for the night, and then come back. And I would start working on my master's. I was working on my master's degree at the time, start working on my homework while the laundry was going. And then, so it got to the point where I was like falling asleep in the office. So I went and I saw a couch sitting outside one of the old academic buildings. So I asked the uh, facilities guy to cut the, cut the couch in half. So it would fit in the equipment room. And so he cut the couch in half with a sawzall. I put it in there, I threw a blanket over it and I would sleep on that couch when I had to, like, you just got to do what you have to do. You know, that's what it came down to. But um, you know, a year later there was an opportunity where, they wanted to reorganize the department. So we had our head strength and conditioning coach who was in charge of football and some other sports. And then they created a position that was over him. That would be the director of strength and conditioning that would oversee all 21 sports. And I applied for the director position, you know, with his blessing and ended up getting the job. And like I said, 24 years old there, I was running 21 teams. Yeah. I was going to say all over all 21 teams. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in charge of all 21 teams. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, when, would you say that, I guess, if it boiled down to one thing, it was just kind of that raw, like gritty work ethic or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was just, it, it was just not taking no for an answer. Yeah. Like I like in those, like, and I still try and apply that now. I'm a little bit more calculated with the way I spend my energy. I'm not just mm-hmm. like running from a thing to thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those days, yeah, it was just, I won't be at work. Like I will be the first one in the building. I'll be the last one in the building. Sometimes I won't leave the building. Um, and 
if there was an opportunity to do something, I was the guy that would do it. Like wh- whatever that was, you know, if you needed somebody to do the laundry, cool, I'll do it. You need somebody to to run a Sunday night tennis workout at 7 p.m. I got it. No problem. You know, and so at that point in my life, it was just about saying yes. It was about taking as many opportunities as I could because each opportunity came with its own lessons. Each opportunity came with its own experiences. Um, and so I was learning while I was doing, you know. Yeah, man, I, I love that. And I think uh, the imagery was great there, like getting the couch cut in half and, and sleeping on that. So you basically just kind of like lived, worked and and barely played in this office building. Zero play. Okay. Yeah, 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 zero play, man. I, I That's something I, I I did not take a vacation for eight years. Mm. So eight years it was before, you know, I, and because it, it was I was so focused on my vision, right? Like I knew what I wanted. I wanted to be the best at what I did. And that meant that I had to work. And I, and again, I always had that chip on my shoulder, whether it's from being from a single parent household or whatever, I don't know what it's from, but I always had this feeling of like, I never felt like I was special. Right. And I still say that I'm not special. I just work hard. Like that. that's all it is. Right. I identify opportunities and I just chase them relentlessly. And I'm not, when it comes to like being intelligent, raw intelligence, I'm not any smarter than the guy next to me. You know, you might be stronger than me, you might be faster than me, you might be smarter than me, but like when it comes down to who's willing to get up at three o'clock in the morning, like I'm going to beat you, you know, and that, that was kind of my mentality um, that I think is, is what provided some of those opportunities early on. Yeah, man. I love that. And I love that you just said yes to, to everything. Like, I think at that age, it's like, you don't have to be as calculated with like, oh, what's the ROI of this activity going to be like you do when you have your own business. Right. So I I think that's a big um, value add to some of the listeners out there that are maybe in like the early phases is just like say yes to as much as you can. Right. Yeah. When you're young and you don't have, you know, the responsibilities like you don't have I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't have all these other things. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have all these other things pulling on me. Right. And so I could focus all my energy solely in this direction. And I'm a firm believer your 20s and your 30s are your time to build. Like mm-hmm. that's when you go all in on things and you build. Now, obviously, that changes when you have a wife, kids, you know, whatever. Um, but early on, like that's that should be your goal. Like give up the party, do things that other people aren't willing to do so that you can live a life that other people won't ever experience. Mm, like totally. that's what it comes down to. Totally. And like a sub point to that, the people that are giving you crap for not going out and not going to the party, it's like, they're going to be saying, Oh, you're so lucky when fast forward 10 years down the road. Type Abs- of thing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So youngest head strength. So should you ever uh, get any like imposter syndrome? I know you worked your ass off, right. But were you like, what am I doing? And so I still get it. I still yeah. get it. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt, man. I was 24 years old and and I, I wrote an article about it. it was published um, about the experience because I didn't know. So I, when it happened, I didn't know I was the youngest in the country. I knew I was young, but I didn't Not know I was the, the youngest. youngest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And s- somebody else sent me the data and, and was like, hey, like you're you're the youngest guy in the country to hold this position. I was like, cool. Um, you know, but there's always imposter syndrome. Right. And And so what you have to learn to do is lean into your strengths. And just say like, okay, I might not have all the answers, but I'm just going to work really hard. Like I, I'm just going to work really hard and I'll figure it out along the way. I don't need to be perfect. Um, and I know for me, like early on, I was always kind of paralyzed by trying to make the perfect decision, right? As opposed to just making the decision, because the more you make decisions, the better you get at making decisions, mm-hmm. right? And so early on, when you feel that imposter syndrome, it's... Don't get obsessed with the details. Just get obsessed with moving forward. Get obsessed with going forward and being willing to ask questions. Like I had mentors all the way through, man. And I was not afraid to ask questions, admit that I didn't know things, you know, all of that. But so within a year of being the head strength coach, I sat down. I remember talking to my family about it. And I was like, I'm going to step down from this position. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I'm not ready. Like, like I'm learning a ton. But this somebody else could do this so much better than me right now. And I need to go learn. I need to go be around somebody that can teach me more because I just don't know enough yet. I've only been doing this for for two years. You know, I'm not prepared for this opportunity. And they were kind of like, all right, well, I mean, I guess if you want. And so I got the opportunity to go to UNLV out in Las Vegas, which was a division one school, 
big time college football. And I got the opportunity to go there and be the assistant director. So now I was taking a step back. So I was going leaving a director job for an assistant director job, but it allowed me the opportunity to be around one of the best in the business and learn from him, you know? And so for me, that was a no brainer. Like, no, this is what I need to, to progress in my career. Like I need to go learn and be around people that know what it's supposed to look like at, at really elite levels. What age was that, that you did that? Uh, when I got to UNLV, I was 26. Okay. So gotcha. So you spent, like you said, about a year as like the head over the, yeah, it was like, it was like 18 months. Yeah. It was like 18 yeah. months over, over the department. At, and then I was like, I gotta, I gotta go learn. At what point, And you said you talked to your parents, right. But what point did you kind of have that? Like, you know, Oh shit moment, right. Where you're like, I think I, I need to learn a little bit more type of thing and go to Las Vegas. I don't know that it was like a moment. I think yeah. it was like the culmination. Like, so you get to the end of the semester, right? And I sat down and like, you always do like a semester review. And I just look back at all the things that that went on during the semester. And I'm like, I think I handled it okay. But I knew in my heart, it could have been so much better. Like yep. there was, I was leaving so much on the table because I just didn't, I didn't know enough, right? Like I just didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so I was like, no, there's, there's things here that I'm missing that I think I'm doing an okay job, but I'm not doing a great job. Yep. Yeah, man, I didn't know you had like uh, thrown it way back like 20 minutes ago when you were talking about the, the B2B sales where you sat outside and you're like, this isn't it. Like, I didn't know if you had one of those style no, moments yeah, again or anything. No, so I was I just kind of curious. Yeah, I don't think it was ever that. I think yep. it was more of just like the culmination of overtime and then like looking back on the semester, looking back on the year that I'd had, you know, the 18 months that I'd had, just like, ah, I, I think I got more in the tank. You know, I think there's yeah. a lot more to learn here. So, all right, let's switch to uh, to UNLV. You're, you're the new kid on the block. So, you know, how did you kind of just differentiate yourself, make a name for yourself out there? Same thing. Yeah. Show up. First one in the office, last one out. Non-negotiable. Um, Non-negotiable. First one in, last one out. Um, it was a lot different environment because it is Division One, And so the stakes are a lot higher, right? Like it's do your job or get fired at that level, period. Um, and so you have to keep in the back of your mind. So like, I remember the first day when I walked into my office, I wrote 148 on my whiteboard and I circled it because there's 148 division one football teams. There's 148 people in the country that want my job. There's 148 people that have my job. Excuse me. There's thousands that want it. And so every day you have to earn that. You have to earn the right to be one of those 148. Right. So to me, that meant no excuses, no distractions, show up every single day, be early, be prepared, make things better, right? So to differentiate myself from the rest of the people on the staff, right? So it goes head strength coach, assistant director, which was me, and then we had a staff underneath us. My job was to solve problems before they ever got to my boss. Mm. Like he should never even know that there was issues. It should be me fixing things, right? And it should be, how do I make his life better? How do I make his job easier? How do I create systems, repeatable processes, so that if somebody younger on the staff or somebody, not not necessarily younger, because I was young, but if somebody leaves, how do we continue rolling without missing a beat? Like, how do we replace that? And it's plug and play, right? So it's creating standard operating procedures for everything. And then just being meticulous about the details. Like every single thing was was meticulous. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of what I did. So like, just an example of that. I remember we, uh, we used to get a, a weekly food order for the kids. Like, so for the football team, they would bring a tractor trailer full of food. We would unload it. And then that would fill our nutrition station for the week for the guys. One week we forgot to put the, uh, nutrition order in the night before. And so it wasn't going to be there on time on Monday morning. I knew that my boss walked in the building at 5 a.m. on Monday. So that meant that I had to get up before 5 a.m. on Monday, drive to the distribution center with my truck and load as much of that food onto my pickup truck as I could and bring it to the university and get it unloaded before he got there. Right. And so I was up at three o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, driving and just filling this thing up. And then you work 12, 14 hours. But he never knew that we he never knew that there was a mess up. He never knew that the food wasn't there on time. Like and those are the types of things that to me differentiated me like though that was the the kind of the length that i was willing to go to because a lot of people would have just went in his office with their t tail tucked between their legs yeah. and been like hey 
we messed up, right? But that's not an option. Like that's not an, that's not good enough, right? So you got to be a solution guy, not a problem guy. Yeah, I love that solution guy, not a problem guy. And I was actually going to say like majority of people would have probably gone in there and and just kind of complained about it. But the, the boss is going to be like, well, what do you want me to do, type of thing? Yeah, right? what, what so. do you want me to do? It's, it's on you because the question that would have came back to me, right, would have been, well, why was the order put in the day before instead of two days before? Right. Why did we wait until the last minute to do this? And so I knew that that was going to be the response. So to me, I'm like, no, let's just fix the problem. Don't tell me about the problem. Tell me about how we're going to fix it. Right. And I think there's the uh, and I still kind of go by this with my team. It's like the one, three, one. Um, so it's like bring me one problem, three possible solutions, and then one action that we can take today that will start to alleviate the problem. You said one, three, one. Yep. One, three, one. So one problem three solutions, three possible solutions, and then the one that makes the most sense that we can take action on today. Nice. I like that a lot, man. And uh, yeah, going back to the the nutrition there, the, those D1 guys, they got to eat, don't they? Got to eat, man. Gotta, yeah, <laughs> to not have food in there is a big deal. You don't yeah. can't drop the ball on that one. No, no, definitely. Um, okay. So, and then UNLV, you did that for how long? I was there for two seasons. Okay, cool. And then what was kind of the next move after that? Next move after that was I got another opportunity to be a head strength coach. So I got an opportunity to come home to my alma mater um, at Susquehanna University, which is a small Division three school. So, again, people are like, dude, what are you doing? You're leaving Division yeah, you're one. You're D, never going to get back in. One, two. Yeah, one, I was three, all yeah. over the place. So so I came back, um, was a head strength coach at, at Susquehanna. I was only there for like six months. Got a call to go to Georgia Southern, which is Division one, to go be the men's basketball strength coach. Um, they had won, they had won over four seasons. They won 20 something games each year. Um, and so they were right on the bubble. They couldn't get over the hump of winning the conference tournament and actually getting to March madness. Mm. And so they brought, they wanted a new strength coach. They called me. They said, would you be willing to come down here and try and do this? We want our guys to be more physical. We want to have a more physical presence. We know you come from a football background. Mm. Do you think you can do it in basketball? And I'm like, Let's see, you know, let's, like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a competitive guy. Let's see what we got. Right. And so, yeah, I went down to Georgia Southern was there for a year and a half. Um, and then that's when I ended up launching the business. Mm, nice. So you did that year and a half. Um, was it hard to switch from, from football to basketball or. Uh, yes and no. I mean, the, the, the culture is definitely different. Like the temperament of, of the players. Um, football is a little bit more like straightforward, kind of just banging, right? Like just just straightforward, um, getting after it. There's a little bit more edge to the guys you're dealing with as far as the players. Um, but the competitive level, competitiveness level is just as high, right? Mm-hmm. And and if anything, basketball was more challenging because there's so many more games in a season. So you're balancing between keeping your guys fresh, continuing to get strong, and then understanding that it's a long season. It's a six-month season. Yeah, definitely. Dude, just curious, like these uh, defensive tackles and, and linemen and stuff, like what are they putting up on like squat and bench? It's just oh, they're 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 animals. Yeah, like like I said earlier, I played Division three. I just had this conversation yeah. with somebody else. I played Division three, and like every Division three player thinks like, oh, I could have played D one. I could have been this guy, right? I thought that, and then I got there and I coached them, and it was very apparent to me very early on. Like, no, nah, these dudes are different breeds. Like. These guys there, I mean, you're talking about six, seven, seven fifty, more than that on the squat. Like these guys are just savages. Like, and and they're three hundred and some pounds, and they can windmill dunk a basketball. Like, it's just, it's the athleticism is just ridiculous. And they're fast too. It's crazy. Oh my gosh, yeah, super athletic, you, super you remember, athletic. Uh, uh, Javon Clowney with uh, the Gamecocks. Yeah, yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a specimen. Now, we yeah. we didn't have anyone like that at UNLV, but yeah, but like um, in general, just like the the big yeah, D one schools like that. I right? mean, you so. see these guys. Yeah, they're just different, man. They're they're just they're built different. Um, okay, so let's talk about launching the the Edge Leadership Academy. Yeah, so that came about. Um, I had always been interested in leadership. I was always had a had a thing for it, um, and I had a master's degree in sports psychology and exercise science. And so I had the sports psych background. I had built leadership councils at every school that I was at. I had built, um, you know, uh, like leadership curriculums at every school that I was at. I had run mentorship programs, internship programs, all this stuff. So I kind of had the experience. Um, and then I had a player come in my office and he said, coach, I've been the best player on every team I've ever been on. And everybody's always telling me to lead. Nobody ever taught me how. 
And that was like the light bulb moment, right? That was the moment for me where I was like, oh, okay, if this young man feels this way because he's the best leader that I've ever coached. So if he feels this way, how many other people feel this way, right? And so I started by just trying to identify, like, could I put together a curriculum that would work in the college setting to teach people to be leaders, right? And so started there. I started putting out free content. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to get a contract extension to Georgia Southern and I decided to turn it down and start the business. And so I start putting out this content, start building, and I had a five-year plan to profitability. Um, and about three months in, I had schools calling me, asking me to speak to their teams. And I was like, I've never done this. I don't know what this is going to look like, but sure, let's do it. Right. And so all through the pandemic, I'm doing virtual keynote addresses. I'm running leadership workshops. I'm starting to build a client base. We get through uh, the first six months and I had 32 clients and I'm like, oh, this is happening fast. Like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing here. You know, I had no, yeah. no back end as far as like operations or like anything on the back end. I was just figuring it out as I go. Um, and then from there, it just kind of built and, you know, flash forward three years, here we are. Um, there was a lot of things in between, but yeah, that's how, that's how it started. And the clients, were they mainly sports teams or? Yeah, they were, they were all colleges. So when I started, it was, I was 90% college, 10% corporate. Um, mm -hmm. Now I'm about 10% athletics, 90% corporate. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, that's really cool, man, that you had that light bulb, light bulb moment of, of the individual that walked in and was like, Hey, I've always been the best. I don't know how to lead. Like, do you think that's a, a big gap that happens like maybe a lot in the corporate world too? Cause you said you speak to a lot of those folks. So yeah, no, there's, there's no doubt, man. It, it shows up across all industries mm. um, because think about like the typical corporate trajectory, right? So if I come into a business and I'm a sales rep and I crush it for five, six years, whatever it is, I hit all my numbers on the quota. What's the next natural progression? They're going to make me a sales manager. And then they're going to make me a district manager. Then I'm going to be a regional manager. Then I'm going to be a VP of sales. At what point during that did anyone find out if I actually had any leadership skills? Like the only qualifications that I had were the fact that I was a great, I was a great salesman, mm -hmm. right? It, at no point did I say anything about communication, feedback channels, um, the ability to communicate a vision, the ability to goal set. I didn't, none of that stuff was ever discussed. Right. And so I think it happens left and right. Um, and we do the same thing in middle management up to senior management in, in the corporate environment. You're a, you know, a marketing team lead, and then you move up to the VP of marketing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, based on what, you know, yeah. ba based on, based on what metrics. Um, and so, yeah, we, we teach a ton of it. Um, in the corporate space as well. And like the other thing that we do a lot of is like rising stars programs. So a lot of, a lot of companies now to work on employee retention are looking at programs to identify leaders early on mm. and invest in them and move them up the ranks. And so we help them implement a curriculum for these people. Like here's the, the, the steps along the path before this person becomes that regional VP or that, that, that uh, sale that, you know, that district manager or whatever it is before they become that, let's make sure they have these skills mastered. Right. And so we teach that. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. I think, uh, there's a lot of turnover out there. Right. But it's, I like that, uh, that leadership trajectory of, Hey, let's, let's identify core players and let's invest more into them. That's really cool that you help with that. Um, I know you, you mentioned this when you reached out to me, but like, would you mind going over the, the five C's of leadership? Yeah, absolutely. So they're, they're kind of the, these are the, the the heartbeat of our curriculum, right? These are the mm. things that really drive everything else that we do. So everything else stems off of these five C's. Um, and so what these are, are the five main traits of, a, of established and successful leaders, right? And so this is not something that I made up. This is backed by psychology research. The fact that they all start with C is a complete coincidence um, and is great for marketing. So shout out to all the researchers who did that. Um, but yep. It starts with character, right? So the first thing that they they identified as a as a um, a driver of leadership success is character and the ability to know who you are, who you're not, and then be able to com communicate and know your vision, your mission, and your values. What are you about as a human, right? That's number one. So once you have your character in place, then you can start to be consistent. So when we talk about consistency and the reason it's so important, it's because humans operate off of pattern recognition, right? We want to find a baseline of behavior from the people that we're trying to follow or the people that we want to be in business with or the people that we want to spend time with. 
And so if you can be consistent because you know who you are and who you're not and what vision, mission, and values you have, now you can be consistent in the way that you communicate with people. You can be consistent in the way that you deploy your energy and your resources. You can be consistent in the way that you interact and the way that you react to stress or adversity or success, all of those things. So once you have that, you have that consistency piece. Now you're able to show true commitment. Because once you're consistent in something over time, it shows people that you're committed to it, right? So the third C is commitment. And it's your ability to commit to the people, the organization, and the vision, right? That's great leadership. The people, the vision, and the organization, not the results. Because the results will come as a byproduct of being committed to those first three things, right? So once you're committed, now you can start to communicate. Now you can start to communicate the vision. You can communicate um, how we're going to get there. We can start to communicate, you know, what our goals are. What are the KPIs and the metrics that we're going to use along the way? Um, we can communicate more effectively, more empathetically, right? All the things that we need to be great communicators can occur as a result of having those other C's in place. And then lastly is creativity. Great leadership, especially in our society, is associated with creativity. Like if you think about, if we talk about a, a company that made it through the pandemic and did really well because of a pivot, what do we always say? They were led, right? Somebody led them through the pandemic. Someone led them back from bankruptcy. Um, if we look at a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you say somebody, you say he led them to a Super Bowl win. Nobody says he managed them to a Super Bowl win, right? right. We always say led. Leadership and creativity are synonymous in our culture. And so the ability to be creative in a leadership role is is absolutely invaluable. You have to be creative. You have to be creative in the way that you manage relationships. And right. So a lot of people in corporate structures or in athletics will say it's about getting the right people on the bus. Well, it's also about getting the wrong people off the bus. And then more importantly, it's about putting people in the right seats. How well do you know your team's strengths and weaknesses? Like that's creativity is being able to assign the right people to the right projects at the right time and deploy their strengths. Right. And then the other piece of creativity is knowing how to ask for help and how to bring in outside resources and make the most of situations. Like those things are creativity and you have to be able to pivot, right? Like great leaders can see around corners. They see things coming, they see trends um, and they're able to manage and navigate those things. So those are our five C's. We always start with leading yourself first. So if you're someone listening to this and you're like, all right, these are the five things that I need to work on. Correct, but start by deploying them in your own life first. Don't even try to lead anybody else. Lead yourself first. And if you do it really well, people will naturally follow you. Dude, I love that last point, man. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day, um, the, the Real AF podcast. And uh, they uh, they asked the host, Andy Frisella, they're like, I'm struggling to get my team uh, to, to follow me or something like that. And, and he was talking about, hey, well, are you leading yourself first? Like, are you somebody that's worth listening to? Or are you somebody that's respectful? Um, so I love you mentioned that last point because I think that's something that a lot of leaders miss is like, wait, I need to invest back into myself too and get my employees to like respect me as like a person, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you have to, if you're not walking the walk, you can forget it. Like you have yeah. to model the behaviors from top to bottom. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is being selfish about being selfless, mm. right? So you have to be selfish and in pouring into yourself and doing the work on you and investing in your skills and your time and your and your uh, self-development so that you can be selfless in service of others and in service of your team. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like, you know, you're not going to listen to a leader that shows up late Monday, leaves early on a Thursday to take off the rest of the week and eating fast food, not going to the gym, like not taking care of themselves. It's like, why would you want to listen to somebody who who doesn't respect themselves like that? You know, exactly. Exactly. You have to, you have to practice what you preach. Like it, it's, it's when you're modeling behaviors, the only way to get people to truly internalize that stuff is for them to see it from you on a consistent basis, right? Mm. Because when you watch people, we don't really listen to what people say. We watch what they do. And mm. so if you're saying one thing, but your habits and your behaviors and your trends are showing a different thing, nothing gives people red flags faster than that, right? Yeah. That makes people super uncomfortable immediately. And so that makes it really hard for you to be a leader if you're talking about all of these things and then you're not doing any of them, right? It's the same thing as why if we walk into a company and we say that innovation is one of our core values, 
but then we don't reward people for taking on new projects or innovating, mm-hmm. or we we say that's the way we've always done it, right? That's extremely uncomfortable for people because they look at it and say, wait, you said you said that this is who we are, and then we're not that, right? And that that's really uncomfortable. Dude, I totally agree, man. I think it, it, a lot of it goes back to those core values of like, hey, if you say you're A, B, C, D, E, like you got to make sure you align with those. Um, uh, along those lines, like what is your advice to leaders just to build that strong culture? Is it kind of like what I referenced there or what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's be very, very clear about what's important to you and what's tolerated, what's rewarded, what's celebrated within the group and then stick to it. Like put put measurements. You can't measure it. If you don't measure it, you can't manage it is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say here. So make sure that whatever values that you assign to your team, like you say, this is who we are, right? This is our culture. There better be behaviors attached to that. So give them examples. Like, what does it look like to be caring? If caring is one of our values, what does that look like? How do we highlight that, right? How do we celebrate people within our industry or within our team that are doing things that are caring? How do we bring that to the light and celebrate those things? Um, that's that's the first step. Then the second step is just be a human. Um, if you're trying to build a great culture, like the number one thing that people are looking for in culture is safety and psychological, psychological safety and trust. Mm. Those are the things that people are looking for. That's the number one indicator of a good culture. And so if you look at that, it's like, how do I create environments? And when I say safety, I don't mean like safe spaces. I don't mean like kumbaya, like holding hands. I'm saying more like, no, I can make a mistake here and it's not going to be weaponized against Mm. me. Right. I can be vulnerable here, meaning I can take risks. I can ask questions. I can set boundaries. I can have hard conversations because that's what vulnerability is. I can be vulnerable here and it's rewarded. Right. That's what people are looking for. That's what people are really searching for in a culture. So if you want to set a culture, that's where you start. Yeah, man, I I, um, I loved what you mentioned about the the showing examples. Like, you know, what does loyalty look like or what does integrity look like? And actually like showcasing those and rewarding that behavior. That's really cool. Yeah. And then measure it and then, and then reward people within it, within the culture. Right. So like it's easy to do in the sports world. It's harder to do in the business world. Mm. Um, But it's, if you do it and you invest in your culture, it will pay off 10 X every day of the week. Dude, totally agree. And it's going to make people want to perform even better for our organization, you know? Right. It's going to make them want to stay. It's going to make them want to perform better. It's going to make things matter. Yeah, man, I totally agree. So what is your, uh, Okay, so you've had a pretty unique journey, um, youngest strength and conditioning coach. So what are you, like late 20s, early 30s now? 31, yeah, 31. Okay, cool. Um, so we're not too far off, man. I'm 27. Um, what is your like kind of 10-year goal, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, for me, man, this this is just the beginning. Um, so I'm actually involved in a few other companies as well cool. um, that we're working on now that we have going on. And then I'm, I'm going to be launching a real estate business as well in this, mm. this later this fall. Uh, so the 10-year goal for me, man, is to be a serial entrepreneur. Um, Edge Leadership Academy is just the beginning for me. Um, I'd love to hold a portfolio of businesses, be involved in a lot of things. I'm, I'm actually a very creative person when it comes to like what I, I like bringing things to life, right? Like I like bring, having an idea and being able to bring it to life. Um, so I see myself in 10 years involved in multiple businesses, heavily invested in real estate. Um, and then from there, still still doing speeches, still um, getting on stages and doing podcasts and, and enjoying it. But, you know, the big thing for me is I just want to trust the process and be the best version of me. Like whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, I, I can't give you specifics. I can't say in 10 years, I'm going to make this amount of money or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I have those things in my mind, kind of like those those arbitrary goals, right? But at the end of the day, I just want to be the best version of me. And so wherever that version of me takes me, that's where I'm meant to be. You know, I'm not going to fight the, I'm not going to fight the process and try and say, this is what it's going to look like. Because if there's anything that I've learned along my journey, it's been that just because you set out for a certain thing doesn't mean that that's going to be where you end up. And the lessons that you learn along the way might change your mind about whether you even want to go to that place. Right. So for example, I was on this trajectory through coaching and I wanted to be, a big time division one, you know, Alabama, Ohio state, one of those schools. I wanted to be the guy at those schools. I wanted to be the coach there. And then as I climbed the ranks and I learned so much about myself and I grew up and I, I matured and I had different visions and different, you know, different things that were important to me. I realized like, Oh, that's not really what I want. What I really want is to make the most impact. What I really Mm -hmm. want is to help other people. What I really want is to live a life of integrity, right? So, okay. So now I start the business. All right. 
So I jump into entrepreneurship. And then from there, I launch a gym. I do all these different things. And I'm like, okay, it's not the money that's driving me here. It's the freedom. It's the ability to do what I want, when I want with the people that I want and still be able to drive impact for people behind me, right? And for people that are around me. And so then from there, you trust the process even further. And then you realize, oh, it's not even really about all those things necessarily. It's about just trying to be the best version of me and leave a legacy for my family to be proud of and inspire greatness in everybody that I come around and be honest and be caring and be driven and be committed to growth. If I can do all those things, then whatever I do from a business standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from whatever standpoint, whatever I do there will just be a reflection of the man that I want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, it's about trying to be the best version of me and whatever opportunities come along the way. I'm just going to snatch them and 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 work my butt off, you know, because that's just part of who I am. Dude, for sure, man. And, and just recap that. So basically what you're saying is like focus on being the best version of you. Focus on committing. Focus on, you know, what you talked about was like the freedom to do what you want with who you want with making an impact and then just trust in the process saying, you know, if I'm doing all these things, I'm just going to let what happens happen. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I have, I definitely have business goals. Like I don't oh, yeah, want to sit yeah. here and say, like, I don't have any like hard and fast goals. Like I do, there's things, you know, there's numbers, right. there's revenue numbers, there's things like that, but those numbers are just a reflection of me getting closer okay. to that ideal version of myself. Yeah. And I, I just want to recap that. Cause I think a lot of people are like, well, what do I do? What goals do I set? Blah, blah, blah. And like, all that's super important. Like you can kind of see here, I got all my goals back there, but yeah. it's like, well, also focus on just like being the best you and just be open to see where that leads. Like, that's what I really like yeah, about that. Man. It, you get excited, like get excited about meeting this new version of you. Like get mm. excited about meeting the person of you that goes through these things and goes through these, these uh, lessons and these trials and tribulations and, you know, learns along the journey and like, then see what happens because Dude, you never yeah. know what door is going to open. You never know like opportunities have led. If you would have told me three years ago, that I would have a team of people that work for me. I'd be involved in multiple businesses. Mm. Like I'd be opening a real estate business. I, I'd have been like, what? Like, no, I just want to go teach leadership. You know, like it, it, but over these three years, I've learned and I've progressed and things have I've turned into opportunities and relationships have grown into business opportunities. And, the, you know, so you start to learn um, along the way, but you just get excited for the next version of you, like that next level. Yeah, for sure, man. So, uh, okay. So you have the leadership and then you have the real estate. Is that an investment fund you're starting or? Yeah. So that's an, that's an investment fund. Okay. Um, so that will be single family, multifamily homes. There'll also be a fix and flip aspect to it. Um, and then long-term we'll still, we'll have a property management business that's attached to it. That kind of holds everything together. And did you say um, you had a gym as well or no? I, I sold the gym. So I'm out of the gym. Okay. Um, so I, I had a gym, but I also, I'm involved in a shoulder pad company, um, it's a shoulder protection device that goes underneath shoulder pads for football um, and attaches to them. It's pretty cool. It's going to change the way um, that that shoulder pads are made in the, in mm. the industry. So it's really exciting. We're taking that um, and running with it. And then I'm also involved in an app that's that's coming out. I can't talk much about that yet, but yeah. um, that's off and running as well. So, yeah, so I'm involved in in multiple different businesses, um, you know, and, and again, none of them were things that if you would have said, Hey, this is what you're going to be doing. I'd have been like, eh, I don't yeah. think so, but okay. Yeah. And did I ask that? Because I think like there's this, well, there's this true fact of like the average millionaire has, you know, seven streams of income. Right. But like they mastered one area first and then diversified. So correct. did you kind of like master that uh, edge leadership? Well, the strength and conditioning and then use that to pivot into yeah. like edge to real estate to gym. Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. I, th I think, um, I don't think I've mastered any of them if we're being mm. completely honest. Like I still, I always think that there's more to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but I would say that I, I built a career in coaching that created a platform for me to be able to launch a successful business off of it. Right. So mm. because of my networking coaching and the people that I knew I was able to get into certain doors and build certain things right away with, with edge. Right. And then I was able to launch the podcast and I was able to get to the top 10% of all podcasts because I was able to get certain guests because I had met all these people through coaching. Right. So for me to make a call to Ohio state and get one of their coaches on the show, wasn't a big deal. Right. So that gave me, I got to take the elevator on that one. And then it's like, if you look at the public speaking, I was able to start booking keynote addresses and stand on stage because of my coaching career. So people wanted to hear, how did you do what you do? And then stand on stage and talk about it. Now, piece that people don't realize, 
is because I was coaching for 10 years. They say the 10,000 hour rule, right? Every day I was speaking in front of a group. So I was refining my public speaking skills for 10 years. Then I stepped on a stage, Mm -hmm. right? And so that kind of allowed, that's why Edge was able to be successful from an early place. And then getting the right business partners, man, my team is is phenomenal. Like the people that I'm surrounded by um, is are unbelievable. And I would not be able to do any of the things that I do if I didn't have them. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, I like that you talked about that at one point. Cause it's like, Oh, you just started speaking and you're doing well. At it. It's like, well, dude, you spoke every day for 10 years. Like it didn't even realize that until you said that. So, right. Yeah. So that, that's why, like when, when we talk about people that are pivoting and, and creating multiple streams of income, like whenever I get involved in a business, I have I have a, a diagram that I keep. And in the middle is my vision, my mission, and my values, like who I want to be, right? And then on each spoke are the different businesses that I'm involved in, but they all need to be connected somehow to that vision, that mission, and that values, right? They yeah. all need to be connected to that. And then again, they all make each other better. Like each of my businesses is some one way or another is intertwined. Like the reason I got involved in the shoulder, the shoulder protection device industry was because of my background in football, because of my contacts and coaching. Like I was passionate about that. And so I was able to leverage that to make that a better venture. So I think the the fear that I have sometimes when people hear my story and they're like, oh, he's involved in all these different businesses and this and that. And he's not a millionaire from one. He's involved in a bunch. It's like I am, but they're all intertwined. They're they're all like I'm very cautious. I don't jump at every opportunity. Like I'm very deliberate about the things that I get involved in. Um, and so I think sometimes the the fear is that people think that they need seven streams of income right now, right? Versus for me, it's like, no, how do I have Edge Leadership Academy and create streams of income within Edge, mm. right? That remove me from the process. Mm. Okay. So that's big. How do I create streams that are evergreen, streams that are repeatable, streams that are, um, you know, royalty based or subscription based or something where it's a recurring payment, like those types of things. Right. And then how do I build high ticket offers that allow me to work less and get paid more? Like that's ultimately anybody that wants to start a business. If you really want to start to make money, you have to get to a point where people pay you for what you know, not for what you do. Right. So I'm getting paid because I have a skill set and because of my knowledge in leadership and my experience in leadership, not necessarily because I can just come in and talk. Right. So you want to get to that point where you're not trading time for money anymore. Um, You're paying, you're trading knowledge for money. Yeah. And you're getting to the point where you can charge, you know, X amount for one ticket versus like to get that amount of money, you know, seven years ago, you'd have to charge 60 different pieces right correct correct yeah that's that's the key to it and and so it's like when people say um you know again the average millionaire right like yeah sure the average millionaire has seven streams of income but the average millionaire became a millionaire because of one of those baskets right one of those buckets and so for me edge is the big bucket right so if you said are you going to be a millionaire yeah it'll be through edge but these other things will be growing simultaneously yeah. And dude, you already touched on this, but like, they're all subsets, like the shoulder pad, you strength and conditioning coach, dude, you know, football, Correct. Uh, you know, the, the gym you said you sold, like you obviously know strength working out all that stuff. It's not like right. you're like, Oh yeah, I just started a, uh, I don't know, like a audio engineering company coming from right. football. Yeah. It's like, what? Exactly. Like, you know? Yeah. So. Find things, find things that fit in your skill set. find things that, that lean to your strengths and then go from there. Right. And then build from that. And again, it's, how do I diversify within each bucket and then yeah. make sure if, if the buckets don't make sense together, there's a problem. Like yeah. that's where people get into problems because they get involved in 17 different businesses and they're doing drop shipping and they're doing Amazon arbitrage and doing an affiliate program and they're doing this and they're doing that. And then they're launching an online course, like all these different things, but none of them are connected. Like they should all be connected because everything that I touch should be a representation of me. Mm. Facts. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, dude, well, you dropped a ton of value. Dude. I took a bunch of notes. I'm sure the listeners did as well. Where uh, where can people connect with you? Yeah, man, I'm on every social media uh, at Coach D Kitch. So TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. Um, Twitter, what's the new one? Threads. Uh, I'm on all that stuff. So check that out. Uh, we have a website as well, edgeleadershipacademy.com. Um, we run a mentorship group, which is hmm. usually pretty full, but we have a new one opening up. Um, probably about the time that this will release. So check that out. That'll be called the table. 
Um, that's on our website as well. So yeah, always reach out. Any questions, I'm always happy to connect with people, answer any questions that people have. Dude, you got a badass Instagram name, D Kitch. That's it, 30, 30 what? No, it's just at, at Coach D Kitch, man. At Coach D Kitch, that's super cool, yeah. man. I, I like that. Um, so dude, well, again, appreciate you sharing all your thoughts. Um, I got a lot of value out of it. Um, appreciate being willing to chat and uh dude just kudos to what you're doing man i can tell you're super passionate about it and uh i hope you keep up the great work thank you brother i appreciate you having me on man good luck well that's it everyone thanks again for taking the time to tune into this week's episode of next level minds be sure to connect with david on the various social media avenues that he mentioned this episode was fantastic so i hope everyone enjoyed what he had to say really the biggest theme i got out of this is that If you want to accomplish something great, it's going to require a lot of action with a lot of work ethic, with a lot of time, with a strong vision. So keep those four things in mind as you all continue to crush the rest of the week. And thanks again for the support with the Next Level Minds podcast. Keep sharing it, keep liking it, keep leaving reviews, and ultimately keep supporting that vision of wanting to impact over 1 million people.